I'm going to invite our team that's heading to South Dakota right after church today to come on up front. We'd like to send you guys off with prayer. And so in your bulletin, there is a, a little card that will be a prayer reminder for this week for the team as they're going. I encourage you to hang that on your fridge or set it on your counter. Put it in your Bible as you're, as you're spending your time in prayer with the Lord each day this week to be praying for this team as they go. Um, so this, they're heading to the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. Um, how many of you have, have been on one of our previous trips there? I know there's some that have, okay? <laughs> okay, a few, a few of you have. Um, and so they're, they're going to be a um, couple things. Number one, just trying to be a blessing to the Lakota people, trying to bring God's love to them in practical ways. Uh, praying for people there, helping out as they can. Number two, being a blessing to the missionaries there that we support, the Carey family, who were here earlier this year. And so praying that, that God will use our team to be a blessing to them. And then also, I would say number three, kind of your third point, is that you guys will each be stretched and grow in your faith as you go, as you're, as you're faithful to, to sacrifice and, and uh, that God will protect you and, and work in your hearts. Um, and then for our church as well, that it won't just stay... Uh, there in South Dakota or stay as a one-week experience, but that God will bring something to our body as well that will challenge us to continue to, to make him uh, known both here and in our region and around the world and to bring glory to God. So that's what we're going to pray together. Why don't a bunch of you guys come on up and let's, let's just lay hands on them and pray for them and send them out as they go. All right, so that's the big thing happening this week. So make sure that you Keep that prayer reminder. They, they need prayer covering all throughout the week. And so be, be lifting them up before the Lord. So we're going to be in John chapter 16 today. We're, we've been working through John's gospel as a, as a church family here for, for the last few months. And so this is uh, continuing in Jesus' words to his disciples shortly before he's about to be betrayed uh, held, held a mock trial, crucified, and resurrected. So we're, we're coming toward the end of the story but today we're going to look at some promises that Jesus gives that will give us hope when there are difficulties and struggles that we face. And so I, I hope today that maybe you're in that place of disappointment, discouragement, sorrow. Maybe there's some, I, I mean, I don't hope that's where you are, but I hope that if you are, that you can find the joy that comes when we trust in him, when we look to him, when we have our eyes focused on his kingdom and not on this world. So Jesus continues the, the conversation he, he was here already having in chapter 15 where there's a warning and a caution and saying, the world is going to hate you. If you have love for God, uh, then the world is going to hate you. And by the world, we, we saw last week, that's talking about the whole, everything that's created that stands in opposition to God. It's an active rebellion against God. It's not, it's not the planet itself, right? So the world is used as a way of saying anything that's in creation that stands in rebellion against God. And so when you step out of the world because Jesus calls you to himself and you're no longer in that pattern, in that way, instead you're focused on the kingdom of God and you've been forgiven and you've been cleansed and you've been made new and you're following the good shepherd and he is the way, the truth, and the life for you and you're entering into God's presence to glorify him and to proclaim to all that he is glorious, then what happens in the relationship between you and that world that you've left? Well, that world that's still an active moral rebellion against God is not going to be real happy about you turning your back on that way of living and instead acknowledging Jesus as the king. 
And so Jesus says you will have hatred from the world directed toward you, which should not be unexpected because that's exactly what happened to Jesus himself. So if you're following Jesus, expect that the same things that happened to Jesus will happen to you. This is not like a real popular message in American Christianity today, is it? Like the message we would like to hear is, um, life is going to be grand. You know, just believe in yourself. You know, you want to be joyful? That's what God wants too. You want to experience hope and prosperity? That's what God wants for you as well. We would probably all prefer to hear that kind of a version of the truth, right? But the problem is it's only a half a truth, And Jesus lays it all out and he says, what you see happening to me, the rejection that the world has toward me, you as my followers will experience that same kind of sorrow, tribulation, pain, hardship. It comes as a part of the package deal. Now, there's good news coming. You don't have to wallow in that that part of the bad news. So let's read on as he continues building on what he had already shared. Part of what he's promising is that the Holy Spirit, the helper, is coming. You don't have to navigate this reality of coming hardship and sorrow in your own strength. God pours out his Holy Spirit to strengthen you as you face that opposition, as you face that hardship, as you face sorrow. And then Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They, the world, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus speaks of falling away. And again, there's these two options. There's either the option of remaining in that present moral order in active rebellion against God, living in the this world category, or living in the kingdom of God where you're acknowledging Jesus as your Savior. You're following him. You're surrendering him to him and yielding to him day by day. And the choice that you and I have each day is am I going to live in faith or in unfaith? Am I going to live in light of the reality of God's kingdom or am I going to fall away and live in light of this world which is an active moral rebellion against God? And that's a daily decision, isn't it? Now, does that mean that objectively you're going to leave God's kingdom, lose your salvation? That's not what Jesus is talking about or what John's talking about. And he builds on that theme even more in his epistles. So you can read 1 John 4 if you'd like to have assurance of salvation that that's not what's in jeopardy here. But there is a caution and a warning that there is hardship that's going to come. And as that trial and hardship comes, will you lose sight of the kingdom of God and start focusing on the persecution, the hardship, the realities of this world, the people who hate you and reject you and try to isolate you and name call Will that obsess you or will you be obsessed with the kingdom of God and focusing in on him? Uh, there's, there's a discussion of, of this hour, their hour. That's a buzzword in John's gospel that's talking about really ushering in something new. There's a change in history that comes. Jesus refers to that as my hour. And, and that, that's a big package deal that talks about his death 
his resurrection, his exaltation. And that's ushering in the new covenant. There's been one way that God has related to his people throughout all of time, but now something new is breaking in. And so there's an hour coming that's going to bring salvation and judgment. Jesus uh, now applies that theme to the world, the so-called religious leaders who are going to bring persecution and opposition to the followers of Jesus. Their hour is coming. There is a decisive moment in store that will bring salvation for some and judgment for others, two sides of the same coin. And that hour is coming, and as it does, make sure that your heart is in the kingdom of God and not in that other alternative of focusing on the persecution, the hardship, the cares of this life, the this worldly way of living. What does that look like for you and I? When are you tempted to take your eyes off the kingdom and having that kingdom mindset and instead focus in on the world? Well, maybe for you it's, it's when there's a time of disappointment. You know, it would be disappointing if you were popular in the synagogue and now you're put out of the synagogue and those connections and those friends and those, that, that status that you once had is now removed from you and now you're isolated and you're alone and that can be disappointing. That's the context here. What about you? What do you do when you face disappointment? Do you face disappointment in light of God's kingdom? Or do you take your eyes off the kingdom and fall away in a sense of looking through a this-worldly set of, of glasses at that moment? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that when you look at your suffering, think about it in this way. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly I am wasting away, yet inwardly I am being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary struggles, trials, suffering, tribulation, light and momentary are achieving an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we don't fix our eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. That's Paul's way of thinking of this that he gives to the church in Corinth. What about you? What do you do with disappointment? Do you look at those disappointments as light and momentary? Or as my world is crashing in. It couldn't get worse than this. If you're thinking in light of eternity, any challenge, hurdle, obstacle you face is actually in that category. As Paul says, light and momentary. It's in the category of seen. It's not our eternal hope. It's a temporary, temporal perspective on things that fits into the category of this world. Uh, Heidi and I, were, we just spent a couple days here at the end of the week in Nashville. They had a conference, the, the National Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network had a conference for moms of kids with Down Syndrome. And so Heidi was one of 700 moms at this, at this conference and uh, got to just do some networking, get some good uh, information. Uh, we have our, our youngest daughter, Ariel, age two, is, is blessed with an extra chromosome. So she has Down Syndrome and, you know, we found out that diagnosis at Littleton Adventist Hospital after the, the, the midwife handed her to us, okay? That was when we found out. We had done the prenatal screenings, uh, and I mean, not, the, not all of the prenatal screenings, but we had the ultrasounds and all that, and nothing turned up ahead of time, and so it was a shock to us and to the, the physicians and nurses there in Littleton that our, our daughter had some heart defects and she had um, Down syndrome, so she had an extra chromosome. 
Um, so we were not like kind of prepared for that. And I'll tell you, when you get news like that, there is some disappointment that comes. I think it, it may be even harder, as Heidi was talking to some of the moms in Nashville, it may be even harder for those that get a prenatal diagnosis because then you've got more time to like kind of think about this and face the reality of, I had one set of expectations for my child and my own future, and now I'm confronted with a new reality. And what's this going to look like? You know, what, what, does, uh, what do retirement years look like for us? What, what will Ariel be able to do on her own someday as she moves through adolescence and into adulthood? And you face the disappointments of this life. Uh, Down syndrome affects one in 700 pregnancies. It's, it's, a fairly, it's the most common chromosomal genetic defect. Okay? And so it's a condition that um, in 2017, NBC did a, did a report on Iceland entitled Inside the Country Where Down Syndrome is Disappearing. And Iceland in 2017, um, because of their prenatal screenings and easy access to abortion, at this point has virtually eliminated Down Syndrome from their country. And there's some that are celebrating that. We as parents of a little girl with Down Syndrome and as a church that knows REL, we're not celebrating that. You know, that, that to me reminds me of what the Nazis did and said, because you're a little different than me, we're going to eliminate you. What do you do with disappointment that comes? You know, for us, as we got a, a disappointing story on our little baby that we had thought, you know, it's going to be like our other six kids, um, and now we found out there, there's, a new, there's a new challenge that we're going to face. There's some new experiences that we're going to have. Um, you know, I can't say that every moment of every day we had a kingdom of God mindset on that. There were times that we had a falling away thought and you started to look, we started to look at it through a this-worldly lens. But eventually God got our hearts to that place where we hung on to faith and joy and hope and an eternal perspective and we know that every man, woman, and child is made in God's image not one of us is a mistake or an accident. And some of us are taller or shorter or thicker or thinner or lighter or darker than others. And some have an extra chromosome. And that's all part of God's design and God's plan. And there's some things that God has already taught us by raising Ariel that we would have missed out on otherwise. And I think for our whole church, if you've gotten to know her. What do you do with disappointment? You know, maybe for you with your children... It wasn't a, a chromosome, but it was some other area of disappointment. Maybe it came later in life where you're looking at this now young adult or this teen and you're saying, this was not what I had planned as a parent. This, were, this does not fit with my expectations, my dreams, my hopes, what I had figured out. Uh, you know, and that comes to bear on my reputation. Who, who, who am I as a dad? You know, when people look at our kids, right? They... they we think that they're judging us, thinking, man, what a mess up they were if, if their kid turned out like that, right? Uh, well, well, disappointment, it affects us all. Maybe for you it's that career that you'd hoped would pan out. Maybe it's that degree that you wanted to accomplish. We all face disappointment in this life. And you have two options. 
to keep your eyes focused on the kingdom of God through disappointment or to become distracted and look at a this-worldly understanding, a short-term understanding. And as you focus on the kingdom of God, that disappointment will give way to joy. And you'll see that God is working and accomplishing things in you. As Paul said, light and momentary struggles achieving for you an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Until all of a sudden you start to look at those disappointments now through this kingdom of God mindset and you go, wow, this is, this is a struggle. There must be something exciting coming that God's going to do in me if he's letting me, he's trusting me with this kind of pain. There's something big in store. What happens when you look at disappointment that way instead of the woe is me, oh, my life is not aligning with my expectations, this worldly mindset? Maybe for you the falling away temptation comes when you think about things that cause fear. And you know, you live in a world where all we see in the news is the bad news, right? Good news doesn't sell. So all you hear about is the mass shootings, the robberies, the violence, the trafficking, and all of a sudden it's easy for fear to start to cloud your mind and your decisions and your thoughts. You start to look at everyone with suspicion and you get a a bunker mentality, a prepper mindset of I need to hold the evil world at bay, get my pitchfork and my canned goods ready and just stay away from all these dangerous, scary people in this frightening world. And yet if you begin to think of, you know, Jesus said, you will have trouble in this world. But he didn't say, go get a pitchfork and a bunker. He said, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and you will be witnesses. We're to be salt and light. We're a city on a hill. We don't hide our light. We don't put it under a, a basket, but we take the basket off. We let that light shine so that the world will see him, that the world will change because of us living in the kingdom in this world. And that category of in this world is not fixed in space and time. You and I were in the world and we're no longer in the world if we're in Christ. And that means that as you look at some of those scary, terrifying, fear-inducing people in our world, God can change their hearts and he could use you to carry out that kingdom mission. And instead of a hiding, bunker, prepper mindset, God calls us to move into the category of his kingdom And to have a do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God way of living in this world, even in those things that cause fear in our hearts. Maybe in this world you faced rejection as Jesus says will happen. Here at the beginning of chapter 16. If you've been rejected, if you have a a, a this worldly mindset, you're devastated. How do you move on if someone's rejected you? Maybe someone that whose opinion of you mattered more than anyone else. And that kind of rejection can hurt more than just someone that, uh, you know, shows a finger to you on the freeway, right? Somebody you don't know. It's the people that are closest to you and love you the most that can potentially hurt you the most in their rejection. What do you do? How do you move from a this-worldly way of thinking about rejection to a kingdom of God mindset that says, though I may not receive praise and approval and acceptance from the people around me, I know that my God loves me and he's called me and my identity is rooted in him, not in people's opinion of me. 
and it helps you to endure and make it through another day listening to his voice telling you who you are. And Jesus says, as you're you're navigating this on a day-by-day basis, living and walking in the kingdom, maybe, maybe another way that you can gain hope is to know that their hour is coming. Whoever has disappointed you, hurt you, rejected you, their hour is coming. There is judgment and vengeance in store. And I hope you're not wishing that on anyone else, but it should give you peace for today to, to know I don't need to take matters into my own hands. God's got this. It may not be today. It may not be this week, this year, but it will, it, it, he will sort it all out. He is the king and he's on the throne. And so I trust my future to him. So then Jesus continues there at the end of verse four. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay, lots to unpack there. Um, first, Jesus says, I was with you. Jesus was the one that was taking all the, the suffering and the persecution on himself. The disciples were just kind of following him around. There was not a lot of persecution directed to the disciples up to this point in the story. And part of the reality for us and for Jesus' followers after his death, resurrection, ascension is that now all of that hatred from the world is going to be directed to Jesus' followers. We're the ones still here in the flesh today. And so Jesus said, I didn't really need to talk to you about this because I was with you in the beginning. And, and now, Jesus said, curious little phrase here, he says, none of you are asking where are you going? Well, if you've been paying attention as we've been going through John, actually, two times people have explicitly asked him, where are you going? One was in chapter 13. Peter says, well, where are you going? And then again in chapter 14, Thomas, we don't know where you're going, Lord. Where are you going? Well, what's he talking about here? Well, really, he's saying you, you still have no clue of this category of the crucified Messiah, the suffering king. And today, this moment, you don't, you don't even know how to ask the question correctly. They're still thinking in a very this-worldly way. They're, they've been looking at the suffering of Jesus. They've been processing their own futures in a very this-worldly mindset. They're looking at the Romans occupying their land and thinking, man, well, when, when the Messiah comes, he's going to have a big old sword and he's going to take care of some Romans. And that's been their expectation and hope. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm leaving and my kingdom is not the way that you're thinking. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's way more powerful than just a sword to drive out some Romans. And so in in this clouded reality, as they're focusing on this worldly ways of thinking, there's sorrow that they naturally have in their hearts. And And yet Jesus is acknowledging that sorrow. He's not downplaying it, minimizing it. He's saying, you have sorrow, but that sorrow should turn into joy because, verse seven, I'm telling you the truth. Now listen, I tell you the truth, verse seven. 
it is to your advantage that I go away. Can you imagine how shocking that phrase was to Jesus' followers? Is there anyone in the room who would admit that at one time or other in your life, you've wished that you had a time machine and could, could go back to Galilee and actually physically walk around with Jesus and see this stuff that we've been reading here? And maybe you've even thought, my life as a follower of Jesus would actually be easier if I could do that. Instead of reading a story about what happened, if you could see it, experience it, smell the salt water smell, taste the, the bread that he broke and the wine that he transformed from water. And, and you and I think, man, if, if I had that opportunity, I'd have more faith. Jesus is kind of throwing a bucket of cold water on that idea, isn't he? He's saying, actually, no. Today is a better time to be living in history than, than that day because now the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And the Holy Spirit, we're going to find out what some of his work is in the lives of the disciples of Jesus. What exactly happens? What is so awesome about the Holy Spirit that Jesus is going, no, no, trust me, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because unless I go, the helper cannot come. Okay, well, what is it that's so exciting about the Holy Spirit? Let's continue on. Here's one of the, one of the categories of work that the Holy Spirit will do, verse eight. When he comes... He will convict the world concerning three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, that's not a super intuitive argument that Jesus is laying out. I mean, it's cool that the Holy Spirit has a mission in the world. That's kind of the first part of what the Holy Spirit's doing. The Holy Spirit, so the world as in that moral order in active rebellion against God. Do you have any people like that in your neighborhood? Okay, you would say, yep, they would fit the category of the world. In active rebellion against God. A coworker, a classmate. You know some of these people? Okay, you don't have to look too far. There's probably one sit in the aisle with you this morning, right? Then there's the, the of, this, of the kingdom of God way of living. And so there's a work that the Holy Spirit has to do in the world. And it's convicting, or other words that you may have in your version there, exposing or convincing are ways that that Greek word is, is translated into English. There's a, there's a work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the world to cause the world to acknowledge and come to an understanding of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So of sin, why is, why is the Holy Spirit working in the world to convict them of sin, to convince them of what sin is? Well, Jesus says it's because they don't believe in Jesus. And we live at a time in American history, it's very interesting, where this particular work of the Holy Spirit is needed more than ever. There's a lot of people in our world today that are justifying, rationalizing, excusing sin. You know, you don't need to change who you are. You are exactly who you need to be. Have you ever heard that message? Sounds good, right? That's not what the Holy Spirit says. 
That's not what God's word says about sin. And it's not a popular message, but this is a work that the Holy Spirit whispers in hearts and proclaims through the mouths and voices, actually audibly, of God's people, saying, no, there is a problem. It's a sin problem. It separates us from a holy God. Who you are is broken apart from Jesus. Don't justify, excuse, condone, tolerate sin. Don't have some like internal definition of truth that says, whatever I feel like today is my reality. That's not the reality that God lays out in his word and he's the creator. So I'm gonna take his opinion over any human philosophy or idea. But in this world, that conviction of sin is, is really lacking in our culture. But the good news is the Holy Spirit is doing this work. And so despite the, the loud voices saying, no, sin is good, the Holy Spirit is working on hearts going, no, you can say that and declare that as loudly as you want, but in your heart, you're gonna know what the truth is and God's spirit is drawing people, bringing conviction of sin. And the purpose is, is really that they will believe in Jesus. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not just to bring that condemnation. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. The work of the Holy Spirit is continuing that ministry of Jesus and bringing conviction of sin to the world because they don't believe in Jesus, but with the desire that they do. And so when you have it as a mission to go into your neighborhood, into your workplace, into your family, and bring the truth about the sin problem and the Jesus solution to the people that you know, you're just partnering right along with what the Holy Spirit is already doing in human hearts. You're not having to fabricate this, work it up, do it in your own strength, convince, persuade, cajole, threaten people to come into God's kingdom. You're just coming alongside what God is already doing by his spirit. And so don't be timid, don't delay. Get on board because it's exciting when God uses you to change a heart and to transform someone. And it will bring you joy and it will bring them eternal life as you obey and they get a hold of what God is wanting to do in their hearts. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. He also convicts of righteousness. Why? Because, Jesus says, because I am going to the Father. Well, up until this point, Jesus has been the one who's been convicting people of righteousness. There's been some misunderstanding of what righteousness is within the Jewish community. Some of them thought that the temple was the, the locus, the, the location of righteousness. Jesus came in and cleansed the temple. He says the temple is not a place of righteousness. There's sin happening right here in the temple. Some thought that the Sabbath was that place of righteousness. Jesus comes in and heals someone on the Sabbath and they're ready to kill him for it. And he's going, you don't understand what righteousness is and he's having very confrontational, convicting messages about righteousness with these so-called religious people. Others believe that the law of Moses was where righteousness is and yet those same people were out to murder Jesus who was God's expression of love to this world. And now Jesus is going to the Father, and yet that work of convicting of righteousness needs to carry on, and so the Holy Spirit is coming. 
And just as the Holy Spirit is at work in your friends and neighbors and relatives and the people you meet to convict them of sin, he's also working to convict them of righteousness. There's forms of righteousness that people try to pursue. Good works, actions, being a little bit nicer than the next guy, right? Uh, Being religious. And the Holy Spirit is working to go, you know, that is all hollow and empty. There is a relationship with the creator of God, the creator God, made possible through the way, the truth, the life. His name is Jesus. And his shed blood is the only means of righteousness. And the Holy Spirit is working in people's hearts through his word, through those who proclaim the truth of Jesus, the gospel, the good news. And he's still doing that work today. And finally, the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, convincing, exposing, convicting the world of judgment. Why? Jesus says, because it is the prince or the ruler of this world who will be judged. Okay, so now there's going to be people confused a little bit later in this story thinking the devil won and Jesus lost because there's a cross coming in a a couple chapters here. And so they're going to be looking going, the ruler of this world has won. The so-called kingdom of God. Let's Let's put a little sign above him on the cross that says, king of the Jews. He's defeated. And yet Jesus is saying, no, the Holy Spirit's work is going to convince, expose, con- convict people of judgment because it's actually the exact reverse. The prince or the ruler of this world is the one who's defeated. And this king reigns through death and comes out on the other side, risen, exalted, glorified, lifted high for all to see. There will be no doubt that he is the king at the end of this story. There's resurrection in store. What do you and I do as as the Holy Spirit is doing his work? The the good news is we get to come alongside and do the work that the helper is is already at work doing these things in Jesus' name. And so he uses his people, the people of God, the followers of Jesus, to proclaim the truth that we're seeing here, to convince, expose, convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He uses people like you and I in our lives, in our words, in our proclamation, to bring that message to this world because in the end, even though that message is not popular at first, it's the words that bring life to people's hearts as they have a chance to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. God is at work. His Holy Spirit is at work. And so get on board and he will use you and we'll have some good stories to hear and share together as his people. Well, not only is the Holy Spirit at work in the world, but the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Verse 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There's some things that the Holy, more more things that the Holy Spirit is doing in the followers of Jesus. Uh, Number one, he's telling us the things that Jesus wants you to know. 
Jesus, those many things that you cannot bear right now, the Holy Spirit will work that in you. I would say one of the implicit messages that Jesus is sharing here and he's going to build on even more, if your knowledge is all nailed down, figured out, be careful. If you've got, if you've got, there's no more mystery, there's no becoming, there's no seeking, there's no the Holy Spirit revealing more to you. Be cautious. Jesus tends to rebuke people who have it all figured out. And here he says, there's some more things that you need to learn. The Holy Spirit will continue that work of revealing to you. You don't have to have it all figured out yet. Have some grace for yourself if you're feeling... Um, inferior to someone else who, who knows more of these things that Jesus is referring to than you do, it's okay because the Holy Spirit is working in you and he's going to continue to reveal the truth to you. Spend time in the word. Spend time in community with other believers. Spirit-filled community. And make sure your conversation is about things in the category of the kingdom of God. Not just about the Broncos and the weather and what the kids are doing, right? And, and those things are fine, but get around to what is God doing in our world? What is God's word teaching you? How are you growing? What's God's spirit doing in and through you? He's placed us in community with other believers and as he guides us into all truth, as he teaches us about life in God's kingdom, I think that'd be a great place to just pray and, and have that prayer that says, God, guide me in truth. Open your word to me. Flow through me as your ambassador in the world. Give me ears to hear you and eyes to see you. And to really be praying in that category of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we pray that each day, God's spirit is already, you're, you're praying in line with what his work is. That's a prayer you can be guaranteed he will answer. It's not, it's not a self-focused prayer of like, give me what I want. This is, this is a God-focused prayer of give me what you want, what you're already at work to do. And so there's joy that comes in the midst of sorrow because Jesus is faithful. He's done his work. He's poured out his Holy Spirit on you. There's more reason to celebrate here in verse 16. Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will see me and again a little while and you will see me and because I'm going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy, will turn into joy. So this discussion of death and resurrection, sorrow and joy, a little while time frame, really, yeah, really that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking in the very immediate future, there's a time coming for you disciples here in the room at this time in history, not here today, 
There is death. There's a cross coming. I will not be with you. And then after a little while, I will be with you again. And they're not really getting what he's saying. They don't have a category for a crucified Messiah or for resurrection in the middle of history. And Jesus is saying there's going to be, uh, everything's going to be inverted. The world is going to think they've won. There's going to be joy there and you're going to be in sorrow. And it'll be a three days time of, of waiting in sorrow and grief, but there's joy coming at the end. And already the, the battle has been decisively won. You just don't know it yet. Are there any parallels to us as believers living on this side of resurrection? You know, in a sense, we're still in that three-day waiting period. The battle is won. Jesus is king. His kingdom is here. Yet there's still some sorrow. And there's a lot of days that the world thinks that they've won. And they're saying, oh, Jesus is king. Where is he? And there's that angst that we have of feeling like, yeah, where is he? I still believe, I still hope, but when's he coming back? And there's parallels that we can tap into here in the words of Jesus to the the disciples at this time in history. There is sorrow today, but hang in there because there's joy coming. Jesus will return again. Just as he ascended and we're in that already not yet kingdom of God reality, We're living in light of the end of the story today. And we're saying, I know that he's the risen Lord and King who's on the throne. And I know that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior to the glory of God the Father. And so I'm already already doing that today because I know what the end of the story is and so are you you're a follower of Jesus. So there there is joy. Now Jesus illustrates that joy like this. Moms, you'll be able to relate to this. Dads, just take her word for it. (laughs) Verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Ladies that have been through this, is there some sorrow connected with childbirth? And even, even the dads that have had to endure that. I, I like the old days when the dads could be out in the waiting room smoking a cigar, pacing. How did we get to where we are today? So she has sorrow because her hour has come. There's pain. Labor is not fun. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Is that also true? Okay. Not a good time to say, are we going to have any more kids, honey? It's not quite that joyful. (laughs) And so then Jesus takes that as an illustration that we can all relate to and identify with. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. There's sorrow now, but there's rejoicing to come. Jesus rose and he's coming back again. So just, you know, that, ladies, I, I think that's what gives you the, the courage to make it through delivering a baby is you're thinking, I will survive this somehow. I don't think so right now, but I, I know at the end of this, I'm gonna hold a baby and it will be worth it. And, and those of you that are brave enough to do it again, 
Um, it's because you remember holding the baby, not because you remember being in labor. And Jesus is saying that same reality of, of enduring hardship because you know what's coming at the end. And it doesn't have to be, he didn't have to use that illustration. It could be anything hard that you've had to do that you knew had a payoff coming at the end. That degree that you'd plod, you know, trudged through and pressed on and endured, right? Uh, that hard work on that big home improvement project that you're doing. You knew at the end of that, there was something where you're going to be able to take pride in what happened, celebrate, rejoice. There was joy coming, and so you endured hardship. Lifting weights, right? Not fun. Like, oh, this is awesome. But you're thinking, okay, I'm going to get in better shape, and so it's, it's worth it for what's to come. Jesus says that's how it is with his kingdom, that you're looking at the finish not the in-between here and, here and then. You're looking at the king coming back. And so as you're confronted with that daily reality, the disappointments, the pressure, the hardships, the struggles, do I look at it in a this-worldly mindset or an eternal kingdom of God perspective? He's saying, look for the joy. Look at the joy that comes. Pay, pay little attention to the pain and the sorrow of the birth pains that are your present reality. Think about and focus on the finish line. It's worth it. And he is coming again. Verse 23, in that day when he comes, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked, for nothing, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Well, what is he talking about? What kind of asking? Is he talking about asking like your deepest questions? Or is he asking like your Christmas wish list? Is he asking for, is he, is he referring to asking for information and knowledge or for stuff? Well, if you dig into the Greek, there's a couple different verbs that are used here and really kind of both, to be honest. So when Jesus is speaking of what you ask about, what you're looking for asking in his name, it's, a both, it's both those big questions like, like the one that his disciple didn't ask here, where are you going? Those kinds of big questions, those where are you going kinds of questions. What is my life all about? What's the purpose? What's the meaning? How are you leading me? How are you guiding me? To show me who you are. Those big questions of life that we want the answers to are found in Jesus. And it's also stuff, but I would call it, instead of your Christmas list, because a Christmas list is pretty self-focused, right? Stuff I want, I'd call it your grown-up Christmas list. You know that song? Because really, it's, it's, in, it's in chapters where Jesus has been talking about the connection between love, commandments, obedience, and now he's talking about life in the kingdom. And somehow all of those are wrapped up together. If you're just asking for your own selfish desires, is that really a kingdom of God mindset? Is that an obeying the commands to love one another, to show the world that we're his disciples? Is that that kind of a mi- mindset or is it really still reflecting a this-worldly mindset? God, give me the stuff I want. Give me the stuff that I think is best for my life. That's a very small, childish way of thinking. And Jesus is saying, As your heart starts to beat with mine, as you begin to see reality through my eyes, 
as you grow in faith and through eyes of faith, as that spirit, spiritual part of you is strengthened because the helper has come and you're getting a whole new perspective on things and you're seeing the glory of God and not yourself and you're delighting in me and seeing me as the way, the truth, and the life. Then whatever you ask, you're going to get it because it's right in line with my heart. So it's a both and. Lives transformed as people turn to Jesus. What if you ask for that? That's, that's on your grown-up Christmas wish list. His glory expanded and increased. And finally, let's, let's close out the chapter here, verse, verse 25 through the end. Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Man, I hope you get, get a hold of that good news. The Father himself loves you. That puts you in a different category than any of the Old Testament followers of God. One day a year, one person, the high priest, on the Day of Atonement could pass through the veil of the temple and enter into the Holy of Holies. What happened on the day that Jesus was crucified to that veil? It was ripped in two. You have direct access to the Father. More than the high priest did, every day you can come to the Father with your requests. You don't need to even go through Jesus. You can speak directly to the Father because he loves you. And all of this is said in the context of love. There's a relationship that God desires to have with you. Come boldly to the throne. Receive grace. Jesus has made the way for you to enter boldly before the holy God, the creator of heaven and earth. And he loves you. He loves you because you have loved Jesus and believed in him. That's the basis of that love, verse 27. And all of, all of, all of what we've been seeing here, it's coming to a head here. Jesus, he, he gives us direct access. He is the way, the truth, the life. It's because of love. There's a connection with belief, commandments, obedience, the, the vine remaining in him, abiding in him, being fruitful because of that connection tapping into the vine. And so the disciples hear all this and listen to their response. Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you have come from God. We got it figured out, Jesus. Careful. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Um, if you want to see how Jesus responds to people who have it all figured out, you need a little reminder. Go back to chapter 6. Uh, verse 68, 
Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? There's a pattern here. Once you've got it all nailed down and figure out, Jesus brings rebuke. And that's what he's doing here when they're like, oh, now we know what you're talking about. Now finally, you've been beating around the bush. Now you've laid it out clearly. We believe. Do you believe? And then some more rebuke. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, that may be a good verse for you to memorize this week. And, and it, fly, it flies in the face of the lies of our culture today. Oh, oh, in this world, you won't have tribulation. You won't have struggles and hardship. You're beautiful. You're awesome. You're great just how you are. Don't change a thing. Jesus is saying, no, you, you are living in the reality of a broken world. There is pain. There is sorrow. There is becoming that needs to happen in you. Your faith is not all figured out, nailed down, hammered out, fully apprehended at this point. But take heart. There is a peace that Jesus brings. There is joy to come. There is the reality of life in his kingdom. He's at work within you. His Holy Spirit is available to you. He's the helper that comes alongside you. He's revealing all truth to you. Remain in the vine. Take heart not because you're so cool, but because Jesus has overcome the world. Put your faith in him. Don't believe the lie of putting faith in yourself, believing in yourself. That's another idol. You're a created thing. Sorry to break it to you. There's only one creator. He's the creator God. He was with God in the beginning, John 1 told us. So before anything else was, Jesus was and is, and he's the one who, through him all things were made. Nothing has been made apart from him. In him was life. That life is the light. We, 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 we look to him as our light, our life, our good shepherd, the gate, the way to God. And so today, maybe today you're facing some struggle and hardship, and I would like to just pray for you that God will give you joy in the midst of that pain. So why don't we stand together in his, in his presence and why don't you grab hands with somebody next to you today. Let's pray for one another. Lord God, we thank you for the joy that is ours through you. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness. We thank you for this room of people, the community of believers. Lord, that we can strengthen and encourage one another today. We thank you, Lord, for the, the outpouring of your Holy Spirit on your people. Thank you for your work in this world, convicting people because of sin, because of their righteous works that that do not accomplish anything, and because of the judgment that you are victorious and the prince of this world is defeated. We thank you for that work that you're doing. We pray that you would use us in that kingdom-expanding work of proclaiming good news to the lost. 
We thank you for your work within us, that you're revealing truth to us, that you're growing us, that you're shaping us, that you're helping us. Thank you, Lord, that you're patient when we think that we've got it all figured out and we proclaim with arrogance that we see clearly. Thank you that you bring that rebuke, but it's with a desire that we trust in you more fully, that we come more humbly to you, that we continue to seek and to grow and to invite you to do that work of revealing truth to us. Help us to do that in one another's lives, that we would be growing together as a church, as a family, that we'd be opening your word together, encouraging, exhorting, correcting one another when needed, that we would be showing the world that we are your disciples by our love for one another. And as we go now to our homes, uh, to our places of work, to our schools, to Pine Ridge Reservation, we pray that your spirit would fill us and go before us and guide us in all that we do and say in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God bless you.